Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Hannah Dunleavy, and I want to talk about booze. Alcohol has played a huge role in my life and is responsible for some of its highs and a lot of its lows. I'm interested in what role it plays in other people's lives and how things like age, race, class, sex, religion, geography, profession, health conditions, family history, and good old-fashioned trial and error affect what they drink and why they drink it. I'm not here to preach to anyone. I'm certainly in no position to do that. I'm just looking for a better understanding of alcohol's role in Britain in 2019. This is The Drink. Please listen responsibly. Hi, Hannah here. It's Tuesday morning, so I'm going to keep this short because you'll be waiting for this. Well, some of you will be. I like to think that you'll all be sitting there just waiting for it. Anyway, stop waffling. This week is an interview with American comedian Taylor Glenn. She lives over here, so I thought that gave her the perfect opportunity to compare American and British drinking culture. Plus, she used to be a counsellor. So she has some great insights there. Before I go, I just wanted to say thank you to the person who has left me a very nice review on iTunes. Maybe that's the opportunity to say, if anybody else wants to do that, that's actually really helpful. It's really helpful, obviously, if you give me four or five stars, something like that. Look at me being modest. Four stars. If you give me a lot of stars, that's great. If you feel like giving me zero stars, maybe maybe don't. Okay, before I go, just to let you know, next week will be the interview that I did with the brilliant Paul Sinner. I've got a couple of other things planned. I'm meeting uh, comedian Angela Barnes on Monday for a pint. Doesn't that sound great? Until next week. Hi, I am in that London. <laughs> in a part of that London, I don't, I'm not even entirely sure where I actually am. There's no reason to come here unless you're seeing me. Okay. That's why. <laughs> it's that Taylor's voice. London. <laughs> that voice you can hear is... Comedian Taylor Glenn. We are having a nice cup of tea because you are doing dry January. Yeah, right? how boring. What terrible timing. Yeah, well, <laughs> yes and no, because uh, so far I've managed to speak to people who just drink on throw or people who don't really drink at all. So you are actually somewhere (laughs) the midway between the two. You like a drink, but you are also doing dry January. Yeah, I'll redress that balance (laughs) with my usual habits. Is there a reason that you thought about doing dry January? Do you know what? I've never committed to it before. I felt like I needed to. So this is the first time, but it's, it's primarily because of the podcast I do, Drunk Women Solving Crime, which has led me to... Yeah, consume a little bit more than I normally would in a right. three-month period. Yeah. And then we had kind of a... It's it's one of the first Christmases that we've spent just at home, which was a revelation. Like, I love being with my family, and I actually felt really sad. Like, it's not Christmas if I'm not with my family, but it was really nice to just be in our own space because we're usually flying to the States yeah. and, like, hopping around. Or My husband's from Wales. So, consequently, with no one watching our behavior, it was a boozy ass Christmas I mean it was 
Wow. I mean, Christmas morning, I had Prosecco in my hand by 10 a.m. In fact, it might have been earlier because my daughter gets up. <laughs> we can do what we want. We like, misbehave children. I actually have the opposite because I am one of the few people in my family that actually drive. And mm. therefore, I mm. always drink less over Christmas because okay. let's pop over and see this person. It generally means let's Hannah not have a drink. <laughs> right. I had a very dry Christmas. But funnily enough, I've had quite a wet January because of a podcast. Well, we're committed to our jobs, aren't we? (laughs) (laughs) You're finding it quite easy. I'm taking it. Yeah, it's been fine. I haven't noticed a massive difference. And actually, I think it would be kind of confronted if you notice a huge difference. You've got to ask yourself some questions. So that was a relief. People suddenly said, hey, Taylor, you've turned into a really nice person. (laughs) You know, you're not beating the shit out of me anymore. And that's great. Thanks, Taylor. Here's the thing, though, is I'm sort of doing my own kind of sabotage because I don't I don't think I have a terribly healthy relationship with alcohol I I don't I hope I don't have a problem after this talk I may Uh decide that I do but I definitely am compensating by not eating very healthy and the whole plan was like have a super healthy January and I'm totally compensating with like carbohydrates and sweets and stuff so I've just replaced one vice with the other Miss Dunleavy drunk women solving crime yeah tell us about that it's a true crime comedy podcast, and it's funny because Katie, one of the drunk women, had been holding on to that title for years, and she thought it would either be a good Edinburgh show or it'd be good, I don't know, she had like some vague ideas about it. I remember her telling me just the title one night when we were both really pissed at her house. I was like, that is amazing, I wonder what that could be. And I don't know why it took us so long to come to the idea of a podcast, but it just... It just kind of did, and we sat with Hannah, the other drunk women. <laughs> We're just the drunk women now. What a great way to identify. Um, we even have business cards, like the coolest card yeah. I've ever had. Like, I'm kind of a detective yeah, now. You all look like 40s femme fatale. In yeah, it. yeah, that's like what we were going for. It's just flattering for everyone. It's it's the solution to all of our photo problems. So long story short, we decided to launch it as a podcast and we launched in September and we're now doing live shows and we have guests on, which is great. As you know, it's just so fun to chat with people, but we do commit to the old title sometimes more than others. I mean, that's what's funny. Like there's usually one of us that stays, it's sort of the unspoken Hannah Dunleavy needs to drive rule. It's like one of us needs to be able to say sentences or this is going to be unlistenable. So, Uh Okay, so I I wanted to ask you about that, because the very first one of these that I did, Mickey Noonan, who you know, obviously, um, and I drank basically a bottle of Bullet, which is a bourbon, and I'd say basically we left about two shots worth in the bottom, just so we could say (laughs) that we hadn't drunk it all, and also because we ran out of mixer, to be honest. I listened back to it, the two hours or whatever that we went on for, and I was amazed how articulate we were still mm-hmm. but couldn't finish a fucking thought <laughs> the number of times either she would be saying something or I would be saying something and listening back me is thinking yeah. wow yeah you sound brilliant and just at the point where we should have made our killer point that we were about to make we yeah. go what was it talking about yeah and it was just gone that yeah. must happen to you a lot yes definitely And that's funny to listen back to. I guess because that's kind of the point, it's freeing to let go of control. Because I I was never somebody, I couldn't even have a pint before I went on stage. I've never had a drink before I do stand-up. Like, I can count on two fingers. 
I think it's yeah. happened twice. So to kind of let go and trust that whatever comes out, it's like improv extreme. Like, <laughs> like just trust yourself, but also you're hammered. Not finishing thoughts, but also just getting loud. Like, there's one we just listened back to, which we're releasing. And um, yeah, this is, this is the first moment of speaking with you where I'm like, yeah, probably not the healthiest relationship with alcohol. But I, it was the second one we ever recorded. The first one was with Catherine Ryan, and I hosted it because we take turns hosting. So I was so nervous to get it right. We're like, oh my gosh, we have Catherine. We have to nail this. But it's our first one. You know, you're still wobbling with the format and stuff. So then by the time we did the second one, I just was drinking gin straight. And I don't do that. I do not do that. So I didn't remember it. I don't just mean like, oh, I'm kind of fuzzy on the details. Like, I did not remember it. So I didn't even know if words came out. And and the other girls were like, oh, I think you kind of just got quiet. And I do, but then I'll shout something out. Like, it's like something will click. And so at one point I just went, surfing! They're like, sorry, what? And then I kept saying the guy's name. I was like, John Smith, ethnicity unknown. And it had nothing, like we had passed that stage of the case. And they're like, okay, thanks. It's a little confronting, yeah. But that was my worst. That was my worst one. But I still had some contributions. Like at the end, I perk up all of a sudden, yeah. and I'm I'm coherent. But it's yeah. I mean, it's quite exposing. It wasn't as bad to Ooh. listen back to as I thought it would be. I right. did get really drunk with Luke Comran the other day. I haven't listened back to that. I mean, I do always dread listening back to stuff anyway because a, it's the sound well, of your voice. The thing. But b, also you have that panic of what if it didn't record properly? She says, looking down. Yeah, yeah we are recording. <laughs> what if the batches ran out? What if the, you know? Yeah, there's enough anxiety without inebriation. Yeah. Without thinking, yeah, what, <laughs> what what did I actually say? Because mm. particularly when you know someone, right, and also when you know someone who's also quite comfortable with this kit sitting around them yeah that you kind of forget that you're doing this and yeah. I said some things and I thought do I want that in the world do I right and when I said it I don't know if I was saying it for the podcast if I meant it to be <laughs> for the podcast or whether I was just saying it in a hey Mickey here's a yeah. funny story yeah as it was we over recorded so I actually it was hey I still had a good hour's worth of stuff I could yeah. have used if we'd only recorded for an hour I would have been forced to leave some of that stuff in that yeah. stuff I got overexcited and went oh I've got something to say about that yeah when... and is it because it's you've you'd revealed more than you'd want to or just the way you put it is it more the critique of how it was coming across or is it that oh I don't want people to know that about me uh, well I actually it was more that I was revealing stuff I'm possibly, trying to get but... you to say it again uh-huh. like we'll so, keep it in this time. no but revealing just stuff kidding. maybe about other people you know oh, when you right. said when yeah, you said yeah, yeah. a friend and then you think yeah. oh actually Anyone listening to this isn't going to know that, but anybody listening to that who knows me might know who it is that I'm talking about. Sure. So, it, sure. so that's something. But I think as well, there is an element of when you wake up in the morning and you have that, oh my God, what did I say? And the idea <laughs> that someone was recording that yeah. just seems absolutely horrific. I am yeah. very grateful of the fact that I didn't grow up at a time when all of my <gasps> drunken es- escapades are on YouTube oh or my, things like that. Oh my god, that fills me with so much <laughs> dread. That yeah. and and it's an impossibility cuz here I am and it's not going to happen, but the idea like that would be my black mirror episode. Like <laughs> we've actually gone back and you are on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> You've got a daughter. So yeah. presumably she will grow up in that kind of environment. I know and I'm already thinking she's still at the tender age of five so we don't have to worry about that yet because it's you know it's up to me what goes on there 
it's scary thing that I'm going to have to have those conversations with her. Yeah. It really is. But yeah, talk about drunken escapades. It's funny, I was just remembering um, one of many parties I was at. And at this point, I don't even know if I was legal age. The thing is, it takes so long to get to legal age in the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's such a long journey to 21. You're at parties way before that. I mean, that doesn't really matter, but I was, I was really, really drunk and really stoned and super paranoid. And it wasn't even a time that many people had camcorders as we called them but this one guy did and he used to record everything and I remember having to contact him the next day and I'm like you've got to delete that you can't you know if that gets out I don't even know what could happen and it just felt like the it's oh it's one of the most dreadful moments to think that that could be out there and he's like oh I don't need to keep that that's funny because I remember watching it back that night and I just looked (laughs) I was a mess and I wasn't even naked or anything. It was just, just that I looked like a mess. And you're so much more easily mortified at that age, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Now I wouldn't give a shit. Yeah. No, I really wouldn't. Because but... that's the point of your friends, isn't it? Your friends say, no, you were fine, even if you weren't. Yeah. I mean, presumably that you get to the point where if you're so not fine, that they then have to step in and say, no, I think you shouldn't drink that anymore. Yeah. Or and then they comfort you by saying, you were really funny. Yeah. That's it. Like, yeah. Was I fine or funny? And that guy was really handsome. <laughs> yeah. You made a good choice. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Okay, so let's talk oh, about boy. America then. I feel like I'm doing since doing this, I've become like a massive racist. I feel the need to point out that everyone <laughs> is a foreigner or everyone that I talk to who isn't from here. And that's only because I think you have a perspective on British drinking. Oh, that we absolutely. Don't necessarily yeah. have. I'm so interested in the culture of drinking in other so countries. So you yeah. grew up in which part of America? Pennsylvania. The, the drinking age 21. Is yeah, it? that's across the board. Wasn't there a point that it was 19 in some places? There was a point that it was still 18 in New York State. I can't remember when the law changed, but it was quite a long time ago. I remember my dad talking about being on a school trip in New York and they were allowed to drink because he yeah. was 18. But I think, yeah, the law went to 21 quite a while ago. Certainly before my time. My impression of America, and I have spent a reasonable amount of time there, I've got yeah. some friends that live there. If I had grown up in America and to a different set of parents, I probably would have been sent to rehab at points, I think, for the amount that I drank aged 19, 20, 21, yeah. that age. I've always felt that Americans were quick to panic over alcohol mm. problems way more. Is, am I right? I or? agree with you, yeah. And I've always wondered if that's just because my lens was... I was a therapist, and so I was kind of in that world, but no, I, I think there's much more of a sensitivity to the possibility of an alcohol problem. It is very much the culture of, you know, the intervention, and, yeah. or even the casual intervention, like, hey man, maybe maybe you should lay off a little bit, <laughs> you know what I mean? And as soon as I moved over here, I just went, whoa, the threshold here for what's acceptable Quantity-wise, but also behaviorally, just daytime drinking, much more acceptable. The pub culture here is completely different. If you say, I brought my kid to a bar in the U.S., people will be like, whoa, you got to ask yourself some questions. That's disgusting. Like, a bar is not a place you bring a child, but a pub. Yeah. The first time I went in, the first time I'm like, oh, my God, there's children here? This is this is a disgrace. And then I was like, wait, no, this is awesome. This is the unit of gathering. This is your church. <laughs> yeah, that's changed, actually. When I... Well, certainly even when I first started working in pubs, so when I was 18... Mm. Pubs would quite often have a family room and the children were only allowed in that area. Right. But over the last few years, I think certainly since, you know, since the recession, 
when, when pubs struggled. Pubs switched the offering to be more about food, I think. Okay. So it seems now that you do see children in pubs more now than you did when I was growing up. We were in pubs quite a lot because my dad knew people around pubs, my uncle ran pub. Yeah. But you were very much, it was a... You checked with the landlord, and we sat in a corner with yeah. a bag of crisps Seen under the pain heard, of death yeah. that we would. The <laughs> idea that we would be running around talking to other people. Yeah, I mean, when the pub closed, because pubs did used to close, especially like at three, at three o'clock, and then they wouldn't open again until the evening. We would be allowed to like that was still happening when I moved over here. I can yeah. remember going and being like, "What? Yeah. <laughs> You're doing what?" Yeah, so I mean, we ran around yeah. a lot of closed pubs and played in them yeah. and got to have fun in them. But when pubs were, yeah, yeah, when pubs were open and they were serving, not often children. I mean, not as much, certainly huh. not as much as there is now. Yeah. Well, and it's also, I mean, that's another topic, but it's the era of being a, being a parent myself where we, there's sort of this thing of like, where, anywhere I'm allowed, my child yeah. should be allowed. So there's almost this sense of entitlement or whatever. But I think there definitely is more of a an awareness of, uh, yeah, of, of alcoholism. It's not always accurate, but I think there's... Yeah, there's just a skittishness around, like, is this problem drinking? Is this, you know, if I drink every day, that's definitely a problem, yeah. right? Like, that was always the automatic, like, ooh, if you have... Even if it's just, like, half a glass of wine, if you're drinking every day, maybe maybe you have a problem. And I can't see anyone here having that kind of reaction to it. No, I mean, I think you have to be drinking every day for a long time before anybody. Yeah. I mean, Jesus. There are people Sorry. in my dad's life yeah, who aren't convinced that my dad was an alcoholic. And I, yeah... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I make that face just because I remember you describing. Yeah, I mean, if he was in America, Jesus, yeah. I mean, we'd have had an intervention, but that's just not a particularly mm. British thing to do, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Talking to each other about your feelings? No, you that's know, pretty awkward. Do you watch the Sopranos <laughs> at all? Oh, yeah. You know when the uh, they did Christopher's intervention yeah. and it ended up with someone <laughs> yeah. beating someone to death with a chair, basically? <laughs> that's how that would have gone. That's all I can more tell how you. your family... Yeah. I, I can't help but feel things would have disintegrated to that level if we did ever attempted to dis- to intervene Intervention, I don't know what the word is. Intervene, I suppose, my, yeah. My dad. Stage yeah. an intervention. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. It's on the one hand, we're skittish, but then we have horrible... I think we both share a, a bad binge drinking culture, the yeah. US and the UK, but the I know I'm not up on all of my stats, so you know, take, take this with a grain of alcohol. I think we have one of the highest rates of alcohol-related deaths um, in... I don't know if it starts at 16 or even younger, up to... 29 or so so really yeah but we also have the highest percentage of people in the developed world anyway whatever you know you want to lump together with countries the highest percentage of people who abstain from drinking so we have these interesting extremes because that's another thing i noticed moving over here it's very rare not that it's so rare to meet somebody who's teetotal but people make a much bigger deal of it it's a much bigger like why 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 don't you drink that's really weird. You yeah. know, it's a really strange kind of announcement. And in the States, you meet people who don't drink all the time. All the time. There's a huge percentage compared to other countries of people that just completely abstain. And haven't necessarily... It's not because they've gone into AA and they're they're sober now. They've just chosen not to. Yeah. And we a, have dry counties. And you sort oh, of brought that up. Okay, and, well, that's the question. Which doesn't mean ask. people aren't drinking in dry counties, but it's just interesting that that's still part of the culture, that there's this religious element. Are your folks still in Alabama? Thank God, no. Oh, Thank okay. God they left. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're back in PA now. So. Because my... I know they were in Alabama. My, I've got an aunt 
in Alabama. And for a long time, she was oh, in I'm a drive. sorry if she's listening. <laughs> it's a lovely part of the world. <laughs> she, she won't be listening. For a long time, they were in a dry county. Mm. Now they're in Mobile. I can't imagine Mobile's dry. No, I don't think so. It, it can't be. My parents are in Birmingham, so no. But my, my granddad went to visit them once, and he told me a story about how he had gone on a train... And at some point, he was in like the the drinking carriage or whatever you call it, the catering. They don't call it drinking the bar carriage. car. The bar <laughs> car. And at one very point, excited, I got to at say one that point they had to close them <gasps> because they were going through a dry oh my county, God. and then they could open them again because you, prohibition he, is alive and well. I know, but he also, that's amazing. He also told me that it was complete bullshit because loads and loads of people just go out into a different county and drink it at home yeah it's a, and so he, he's he's like it wasn't it, it wasn't it's a not on consumption it's yes yeah. purchasing and I, I think i have read this and i'm not just making it up that it i mean it causes a lot of drunk driving because if you've got to go to the next county yeah. how are you going to get home when you have no Hannah Dunleavy's driving you around yeah exactly that and it, it is tied or it is at least historically was tied to I think the Baptist church in particular really looks down upon consumption of alcohol, or at least that was sort of when the laws were changing over from prohibition and some counties decided to hold on to it. I just know that most of them are in Mississippi. <laughs> That's uh, all I remember. Like It's like a huge percentage. I've got some friends in uh, Massachusetts and they've got the village near them which kept prohibition. And again, it's ridiculous because wow. it's like you, the next village or town or whatever you don't use yeah. the word village in America do you really the next place along yeah. sells it and it's about three miles away yeah. it, is that like a tourist thing I think, <laughs> it's just no, a... I think it's now become like a, just a historical tradition yeah. because they kept it now yeah. they're like it's yeah. the thing that makes us interesting exactly that you don't where they live it, it seems tiny it's because it, it basically it's just things on two sides of a road but that road goes on for about 10 miles mm-hmm. it's like the weirdest shaped town and it's also like the second biggest place in massachusetts you like really <laughs> like, like the rest of Mass- apart from boston <laughs> the rest of massachusetts must just be really tiny but i was really amazed really amazed when i was there by that they don't really have any bars at all they have restaurants yeah, especially because Massachusetts is all about Boston for me, and I love yeah. drinking in Boston. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. what? <laughs> yeah. When I go to the bar, just so I can say bar. They make some decent beer in that neck of the woods as well, don't they? Sam they Adams do. is from there. I like that Sam Adams lot. is good. Yeah, well, there's so many microbrews now that Sam Adams is like mainstream, you know? Yeah. But it is good. Yeah, that's where, yeah, that's where all the good beer came from. Yeah, he was John Adams' cousin. Fun fact. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. There you go. It's a fun fact about America. I love your I, fun facts. You, you know more, home. well, you know more about my country than I do, so that's well, why I like chatting with you about cause, it. Because <laughs> really know. I mean, here we are at the end of January. We're not even in the end of January, the middle of January. You like don't really have a government at the moment, do you? I mean, Ooh. now that is enough. Broke so. the record, eh? Uh, that's interesting. He's not a drinker, is he? No, he's not. What you Which is a shame. <laughs> Well, it's obviously not controlled oh, because Trump, he's by not the way, for the sake of the, uh... him. Him. It's obviously not a control thing because he doesn't mind appearing wildly yeah. out of control, and it's not a health thing because he seems to eat. A no, exactly. Shit. I was going to say the McDonald's buffet was a very recent part of our proud history. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's interesting, isn't it? Maybe he literally cannot speak after one beer. Like I wouldn't be surprised if he's so bad. Like he's just so inarticulate at his best after however many cups of coffee that maybe one beer just you know he turns into a plant (laughs) 
so he's learned not to do it. So, tell me about when you were growing up, how you saw alcohol used around you. Oh, boy. I haven't even decided how much I'm going to get into stuff. Um, We will see. After my peppermint tea. No, I know I don't have to, but this is my big thing now. I'm like, just reveal everything. What's the big deal? My parents both drink. My mother now does not drink. And my father drinks in moderation. I mean, this is fast forward in a little bit, but the fast forward is we actually had an intervention with my parents. Yeah. When I was in, I was in uni and I'm the youngest. Frankly, now at the, in this phase of life, and I've even spoken with my mother about this and she kind of agreed. I think it's a good example of the kind of, not because we were prey to like the American sensitivity of drinking. Like I do think that they were getting into a problematic area yeah. and there were moments where, yeah, my dad would just have had so much that like, I remember at my graduation, in fact, he knocked over a drink and it went all over everything. And I just thought, wow, I don't remember seeing you like this, like mm. slurring and and all of that. But they certainly weren't drinking at the levels of of a lot of people <laughs> that I even know here that yeah. I would not consider, you know, to have a problem. And I think it had a lot to do with very complex family dynamics. I think it had a lot to do with their relationship. And I don't want to get too deep into that, but I think that was kind of a way of them. I think it's how they learned how to cope with three fucking kids. Yeah. Like now that mm. I just have one, I'm like, Jesus, no wonder you drank. Are yeah. you kidding? So yeah, I think it's, I think it's complicated, but I was definitely around it. And there were, so the, the sound of the clinking of glasses of a whiskey cocktail is like part of my memory and my grandparents drank I can remember eating my grandmother's but these are fond memories to me I'm not like this is traumatic I can remember eating the olives at the bottom of my mother as of my grandmother's martinis and having my first taste of gin and be like that is nice like I was so little and just having that like gin soaked olive I can remember my granddad coming back now my granddad died when I was 15 and I can remember my granddad coming back from America with some moonshine Oh, my God. And I can remember drinking it. Now, only the tiniest bit, because obviously it tastes like shit. So there was no way I would have drunk a lot of it. So you have no lining in your stomach. (laughs) Possibly. And also, I mean, that sort of stuff since you're blind. I I don't know what they were thinking. I've never had anything like that, I don't think. Although I don't know, is that similar to grain alcohol and how it tastes? Because I've had grain alcohol in in fact this is a southern. I don't know what green alcohol is so it's it's just pure alcohol it's not a spirit so I don't know I mean it's it, nothing can be a hundred percent or it evaporates I think I'm making up science now this could be wrong take this <laughs> but it's like 80 percent alcohol it's like ridiculous mm. it's stuff that you should not drink like it shouldn't be a mixer and it's illegal in some places blah 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 and I spent one, when my parents did move to Alabama, I spent one summer there waitressing before I went off to school. And I remember going to all these parties and just being like, whoa, like just feeling like such an outsider around all these Southern people. It was so interesting. And I got so drunk at this party drinking something they called Hunch Punch. It was literally in a bathtub that was not connected to plumbing, <laughs> but it was in the middle. And they're like, be careful with the Hunch Punch. It's grain alcohol and juice. And you just couldn't taste it. Like, it just tasted like sweet juice. I don't know how much I had. But I just remember, like, stumbling down the stairs on the way out. And I don't remember how I got back to my parents' house. Yeah. So that's as close to moonshine as I've come. They make something up in Ireland called Pachine, which is, again, much the same. Some potato-based nonsense that Mm. is 
It's called what? Pachin. Pachin. Yeah. It sounds like a vaginal euphemism. Like my pachin. <laughs> but it's drawing that line between anything else, although some people would argue vodka is exactly the same. It's designed solely for the purpose of getting hammered. Yeah. Like there's no appreciate. Nobody's sitting there drinking grain alcohol, swilling around like, "Ooh, it is a piquant yeah. aftertaste." Uh, like it is. It's the crack of the alcohol world. Punch, punch. Jesus. Oh God. <laughs> Imagine what it's done to our insides. So when was the first oh. time you got drunk? Properly drunk, like not just sipping alcohol here and there, um, 15. Which I suppose doesn't even sound that young when I say it now. I I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I would guess <laughs> possibly not from what I know from what other people have told me. Yeah, about, but. yeah. I mean, before then I had like... I'd had like wine at parties and felt maybe a little tipsy and I remember trying to sneak stuff. The thing is I remember always trying to sneak stuff from people's like bars in their houses and stuff and it was just so disgusting. Yeah. I couldn't couldn't force it. But I remember I think I drank five beers, five cans of beer, and we always drank outside. So this was the start of a real drinking career. It started uh. at fifteen because I went away to school. I went to boarding school. We didn't have the typical like American high school movie stereotypes, although high schools really do. Like, the school I left definitely had some of those stereotypes, but if I had to lump myself in, I was definitely one of the, like, the drunks. Like, we (laughs) drank. Like, that's what weekends were for, and we did not understand what other people were off doing. Like, what, you're playing Scrabble? Loser. And we would freeze. I mean, we're in... Pennsylvania, like proper winters and nothing would keep us because there's nowhere else to go. You know, unless somebody's parents were out of town and we had like the luck of a house party, we would drink on this golf course near our school and the ground would be so slick. I mean, I really think parts of it, you could have been on ice skates. And so we would just be like falling even before we were drinking <laughs> with cases of beer. And I remember sliding them on the ice. Oh, I have such funny memories We'd get so drunk and irrational. I remember we were so cold and we're like, we should make a fire, guys. Come on. We could be really civilized about this. <laughs> and I remember two of my friends, guy friends, holding an, a really, really long two by four. Like, I don't know how long it was. Eight feet, at least. You cannot split a two by four. And we're like, <laughs> break it up into pieces and light it on fire. And I have the best image of the two of them. One guy at each hand, American guys, baseball caps, <laughs> dead of winter just running to try to break it across a pole and they both just bounced off <laughs> either side of it. It's still one of the funniest images I have in my head, but like idiots, just absolute idiots. But I'm grinning as I talk about it. I think we got away with a lot. Like you talk about the lining of your stomach, but I I think we're, we're very lucky that nothing horrible ever happened with the amount we drank and where we drank. And we... So you didn't damage yourself because this is something that I did a lot because I'm pretty clumsy in life so therefore I, mm. I damaged myself whilst drunk a lot you don't have any scars lumps bumps no no nothing less it definitely definitely fell a lot and again I can picture that ice mm. <laughs> just like landing on my ass lots of purple ass cheek mornings but luckily no psychologically who knows yeah i sometimes wonder because my memory is so shit now and i just i i was once a very bright woman and i just think 
how much of that, because I'll blame it on age or parenthood, and I'm like, how much of that is just you just killed brain cells because you started then and you've kind of kept going? And is that what it is? Yeah, my memory <laughs> is absolutely shot oh, to pieces. I think, oh, you know, I'm about 45, maybe it's that. <laughs> I'm a very busy person, maybe it's that. <laughs> I don't think it's like the amount of weed that I smoked or the amount that I drank well, that over too, the years. Yeah. When you were a counsellor, did you encounter a lot of people who had who were using alcohol for a, a reason that was not oh. just getting drunk. Oh, well. absolutely. You know, we were trained on what the sort of, again, normal thresholds are. Interestingly, that has changed in the UK the last two years. It's gotten much more stringent on what the sort of allowance is, as it were. But that's another story. I did, and I think because... Oh, I don't even know. I've always thought, like, did it hit too close to home or it just wasn't interested? And I never wanted to work with addiction. Whenever I could, I always referred people out. If I didn't have the luxury of referring them, I found it a very frustrating area to work in. I was thinking of this today because I knew we were going to talk about it. Two cases stand out, and so I have to be very careful about not sharing too many details, but two cases really stand out. One was a woman whose father was really, really suffering very, very bad alcoholism. And I just remember not being able to separate myself from how sad I felt for her because she was this single woman and a really good job, but she had put everything on hold because she'd always looked after him. And I just remember it getting to the point where she was considering just changing the locks on her apartment because he had keys and I remember just exploring that in a session and thinking, hey, maybe that's what it's come to because he will not let you set a boundary. And he's yeah. coming in whenever he wants, completely dominates. And that's part of what's so devastating about that end of the spectrum is just how the boundaries dissipate in a family or not there in the first place and what becomes normal. So I just found it too heavy of an area to really delve into. So I did a lot of referring out. And I remember another case, uh, I mean, this has more to do with addiction rather than alcohol, but um, a guy who was in, he was in a job where safety was very much an issue and he had been sent to me by HR, so he didn't have a choice of whether he was there and I didn't have a choice of whether or not I saw him. And we were effectively trying to catch him, you know, on a urine test and just wait till the drug showed up in his system and we knew he was using and I just found that so frustrating because cornerstone of sitting across from somebody is getting them to be honest and feel safe it comes with a lot of manipulation Mm. or it can do and it's really frustrating yes yeah so it's really frustrating i found as a clinician to know that you were trying to see through somebody's manipulation Mm. and lies in a setting that relies so much on honesty so he was basically giving them child's wee samples Oh, really? And the way he got caught eventually is it was just the dead of winter. And so the sample was cold. And so they finally said, why Why is this stone cold? You've been carrying this. This isn't yours. So then he got fired. That's just a very sad story, yeah. you know? But yeah, you of course, you come across it all the time. Oh, now I'm having a flood of memories. I remember this other guy was sober for years and he relapsed. And um, so we had like a one center I worked in. They had an on-call service so they could get in touch if it was an emergency. And I just remember him calling me on a Friday night at like 8 p.m. And he was just hammered. And he's like, I fucked it up. I fucked it up. And I just just find it so devastating. It was too much. And it's funny to say that. I don't know why that's too much because I worked with so much trauma. 
Yeah. And I now know that that had an impact on me too. But at the time, I could very much separate from it. And I just couldn't with addiction. I just found it so devastating. Did it impact on what you drank? No. (laughs) Do you know what? If anything... I just couldn't wait to go and have a drink. And I think I took I took a lot. I think I used it as a way of coping a lot more than I do now. There are definitely nights where I'm like, oh, I could really use a drink. But I think then when I look at my 20s living in New York, weekends were kind of for drinking. So it was like I took that very adolescent behavior into like, this is what I do. This yeah. is what I do on the weekends. And it's like I had to learn how to be a grown up who could have a weekend without that being the focus. But it's funny because I turned 30 living in the UK. So I've spent all my 30s here. And that felt like a very different phase. It must be really frustrating to be in that situation with someone because the point is, as far as I'm aware, you can't help someone. Or I should say, maybe from my experience, you can't help someone unless they want to be helped. So a lot of it must be... That's why mandated treatment is so... It's just such bullshit. I mean, there might be the odd person that you get through to. And I think I think I probably had a couple of cases where maybe it did them a bit of good and maybe. But ultimately, it, it was still down to them. It's not because I waved some magic wand in the session and they decided, yes, I do have a problem and I want to work on it. Like they had some piece of them that had it. That yeah. old adage of like, you can't help anybody that doesn't want to help themselves. So true. That's why we got nowhere with my dad, really, because he didn't really... But he didn't admit that he had a problem. And, and talk about... To the very end? To the very end. Oh, my goodness. To be... To talk about manipulation. I mean, I was quite naive. No, that's not true. It wasn't that I was naive to what it was. It's just sometimes in the day-to-day, you just forget stuff. Yeah. So there's been a couple of incidents, a couple of things that he's done. Like, even quite... Like, like when I'm... Talking about me in my 40s, with everything I know, that it wouldn't occur to me till afterwards, I think... Oh, he was lying to me and how didn't I spot that but even sometimes when you were wise to it Mm. you'd end up with this weird situation where he would lie to me and I would know he was lying right and then it would go further he would know that I would know that he was lying and so we'd be having a conversation that basically you're like we might as well just stop having this conversation because (laughs) nothing nothing that's being said here is like means anything because I know you know that I don't believe you yeah but so now I kind of have to oddly pretend to believe you. It was, it was. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. No, I mean, he didn't, he didn't want, he didn't want it's to. It's not the natural state of things that you're in that, you don't want to be that vigilant about a parent because they're not supposed to be manipulating you. No. That is a powerful force enough. It's not naivety. You just, you don't want to have to be in that state with a parent. That is devastating. Oh, you're reminding me all the reasons that I left anything to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> but I kind of get it because, and I'm always saying this as someone who can't give up smoking, you know, there are points in which I'm doing quite well and there are points that, you know, I've done two, three weeks and everyone's being like, yay. And I'm thinking <laughs> there is nothing I want more than a cigarette. And suddenly you're you're like, oh, I'm going to go to the shop to buy some milk. And you just make up some bullshit. Just so you can go out yeah. away from people and smoke and not disappoint them. Yeah. And basically that it's the same thing, but just on a much, much larger scale over a much, much longer period that yeah. endured with my dad. Yeah. And eventually, I think if you tell a story enough, you start to believe it yourself. Yeah, of course you do. And you think, of course I haven't got a problem. Yeah. That's, I don't drink as much as... Yeah. See, I think this is what's interesting now. Looking back on the choice to sort of... 
I don't regret speaking to my parents about this as an issue, but I wish we hadn't been so formal. And that's where I think some of that is that ingrained, like, A, here I am in uni being trained for this. So I was like, I felt this real pressure, even though I'm the youngest. I remember my brother saying like, well, you should write the letter because, you know, you're the one that knows this stuff. (laughs) So there I am, but I'm like 18, 19 years old. I'm like, (laughs) feeling all this pressure to get the words right. And I'm also like, I pride myself on my writing too. So I'm like, this has to be the most elegant, beautiful letter ever. I wish we'd just done it a little bit more casually. I wish one of us may, maybe would have had a word and not made it such a formal, like we all went to a therapist, the three of us, the, the kids, to learn how it was done and all of this. And I just think the formality of it kind of made it more traumatic. And then when I hear stories like yours, of all the things that I can rack up, and I love some therapeutic like contemplation, of all the things I can think of that had a, an impact to me, traumatic things, my parents' drinking is not one of those things it just isn't how they were at some points yeah did alcohol exacerbate that i don't think it was the main thing do you think it would have the potential the potential to escalate though do you think you knit something in the bud yes actually that's a really good point i think we maybe did and speaking i don't know i've never talked about it it's really fun i've never talked about it in uh I don't talk about it in general, but I don't, certainly not in like a public forum. So I suddenly just went, oh my God. Yeah. It's not that they won't, because they won't listen to it. It's more than that. It's like, it's, it's out there. So, I understand that more um, than anything because my dad is dead. Yeah. And he would be fucking living with me even now for yeah. starting Spreading de- lies, Hannah. Spreading lies. Starting to deconstruct the facade that he so carefully built yeah. about what his life with alcohol was yeah and he would be livid but it can't change my relationship with him anymore but the point is Mm. i think my dad had problems that went deeper than alcohol sure and they were never dealt with and Mm. therefore he self-medicated with alcohol yeah and that's just a it's a generational thing it's a class thing it's a man thing i don't think that route would have ever worked with him because if I ever talk about therapy or anything like that or I can remember there's been people in my life who've had problems that I described as psychosomatic and both of my parents have been like oh that's you that how dare you say they're making it up and I'm like that's not what psychosomatic means (laughs) psychosomatic means the emotional pain they are feeling becomes a physical yeah. pain and it manifests. Yeah. That was like some hippy-dippy oh, bullshit no. to them. They're off that generation. I think hopefully, because we have become more, uh, I don't want to say Americanized, but I think it is partly Americanized. Oh, yeah. Of sort of that. I agree with that. Yeah. Therapy is more, more people do it Absolutely. and more importantly, more people talk about it. Absolutely. Even since I've lived here and I practiced here for a little while and I, I had so many clients that would go, I I was in Wales. I remember having so many clients that would go, you know, I, I picked you looking at the listings because you were American and I just felt like you'd be less judgmental. And I just thought, oh, that's so sad. You know, just that there was this inherent belief that somebody of their own culture wouldn't necessarily be judgmental. Yeah. Cynical carry those cultural kind of stereotypes with them. I've seen such a huge change. I mean, I've lived here for 13, 14 years now, so huge shift in that time. 
which is great to see. The one good kind of Americanization. <laughs> Sorry about the fast and food and the... That and HBO. Um, yeah. <laughs> Have you had therapy to talk about your dad? No, not to talk about my dad. Well, you might as well make a podcast out of it. Yeah. I don't think I need therapy to talk about my dad. I think mm. I'm in a good place with it. I think it took me a while, but... I had to be okay when he died because there was lots of other things going yeah. on in my, in my family at the same time, including my mum being very ill. Yeah. But I think part of what that made that easier was that we'd had such an ordeal with him in the sort of last 10 years of his life Yeah. that I'd already accepted it was only ever going to end in one place. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I'd had the chance to prepare myself for that a bit. Yeah, I get it. Even when I was a kid, because when I was a kid, to be honest, his drinking wasn't any more out of the ordinary than most other people that I knew, to be honest. Right. Yeah, most of his mates, loads of his brothers, right. all drank that much anyway. So it didn't yeah. seem like my dad was an alcoholic. It just seemed like my dad was pissed a lot, but so were a lot of other people's sure. dads. So. Yeah, he was in good company. Yeah. That's a big deal. I never felt, why doesn't he love me enough to stop drinking? Mm-hmm. I think if I ever thought that or I felt that now, I probably would need therapy. But I don't think I ever really thought about that. I mean, cheesy though it sounds, the question is, why didn't he love himself enough to, like, not drink not that cheesy. much? Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Tell me about Chinese restaurants. (laughs) Well, this is a big part of American drinking culture is, of course because the drinking age is 21. We go off, a lot of people start drinking before they're even in uni, but even when you're in uni and half the people there are of drinking age, you're not. But this goes back to high school, so this is, oh gosh, 17, I guess, 16, 17. It's quite the game, like, how are you going to get your alcohol? And you have to have a friend in your group who looks old enough. I Very few of us had fake IDs. I had one later that my friend and I made. She was Canadian. British Columbia and their driver's license is so shit looking. We're like, <laughs> even in an era with like very low tech, we're like, we can, we, yeah, we can fake this. That's fine. So we used to go to Atlantic City with a drink. It's fine. Remember somebody putting it under a black light though, and I like shit my pants. And he, <laughs> he just shook his head, the bartender, and came back over and he's like, what do you have? And I'm like, buttery nipple, please. <laughs> we did it. We did it. But. Yeah, back in high school, we used to buy like bottles of vodka from this unlicensed, we found out later, um, didn't have a liquor license, um, Chinese restaurant that always had the shades drawn and we'd just go in and they would sell us whatever we wanted for, I mean, the profit margin on these <laughs> bottles. I don't know what we paid, but it was like, it was like 40 bucks for a bottle of like Gordon's vodka. Like that is, that is a really shitty vodka for way too much money. But like, it was like at any cost. We were going to get that, but they would also serve us in there. So every once in a while, we were too cheap to ever buy food. 
So they bring those like fried noodles and we'd sit there and eat fried noodles and they would never clear the glasses, which I always thought was the weirdest thing. Like if anybody comes in here, like the least you could do is clear the glasses and we would just binge drink. I used to drink, when I first started going there, I wanted to seem really old. So I'm like, I'll have a Johnny Walker Black, please. (laughs) I didn't even know what that was. It was terrible. And then I would drink these cocktails called a zombie and they're so expensive. They would leave all the glasses. We'd have like 30 glasses and nobody was ever in there. Oh, it was so Perhaps weird. Perhaps they were trying to publicly shame you. Maybe they yeah. were. I've seen, imagine if that was on YouTube, that yeah. would be all, all the rage. But I have this oddly fond memory of that. I'm like, we'd go do a little, it was called Mui. I'm sure we weren't saying it right. Mui. We're like, let's go do a Mui run. Good times. Do your brothers drink? Yes. So the older one who actually lives over here. We both drink, and I'd say we both occasionally drink to excess. Uh, and my middle brother does not drink very much, and he was very sensitive to the whole family yeah. situation, which is fair enough. And I think he's, um, it, it, yeah, I just think, you know, every everybody has a different reaction to it. I can just remember him sort of evaluating, like, who else has a problem? Yeah, I'll yeah. find somebody else with a problem. And yeah, that's a whole other thing. family discomfort oh man (laughs) do you know what fascinates me about I almost just want you to just leave all the discomfort in because I think it has I think I think alcohol has this interesting tinge of shame whatever wherever you are in the spectrum because I can feel it as I'm talking and I share everything on podcasts like I don't give a fuck that's exactly the point it should be if we if everyone could just be honest about Mm. what they actually drank then then we'll know. But we do have this culture of, because you get this thing, okay, say for example, in like what you should, your allocated amount, I don't even know what it's called. Because basically there's been, the point was, there was a point where I was probably drinking three times what I should have been drinking and now Mm. I'm probably way under, to Mm -hmm. be honest. So it's never really been relevant to me. It's never been something I'm pitching at really. (laughs) But generally you lie to your doctor when they ask you if you smoke and if you drink, generally you'll say, yeah, maybe two cigarettes a day, maybe, maybe. And then maybe a glass of wine with dinner. And that means, like, last night I drank till, like, I vomited out my ears. But we do, we aren't particularly honest because there is something seemingly shameful about it. There, yeah. oh, there's two extremes. There's the bit where it's, like, something that we celebrate, something where it becomes, yeah. like, a national sport. Yeah, yeah, or absolutely. the level that we hide it and we say, oh, absolutely. I'm not really drinking that much. So there doesn't seem to be a lot of middle yeah. ground. Control, release, control, release, yeah, punishment, exactly. reward. I remember being trained to sort of add a certain number because everybody under reports. So whenever I'm at the doctor, because I actually always do tell the truth because I'm a nerd, <laughs> I always go, by the way, I used to be a clinician yeah, and I know yeah. that you're going to add some on, but I really am telling you the truth. I'm like, all right, mate, like, take it easy. And who knows what they write down? She's neurotic. Uh, that's like when I used to work, I used to work in um, a ski resort and, oh, and basically okay. the two things that you need to know when you're deciding what board or skis to rent someone is, you need to know how tall they are. Yep. And you need to know how much, how much they weigh. They weigh. Yep. And we were basically you would, uh, have you, would, you, would <laughs> you would take two inches off what every man's height he told you was, and you would take about half a stone off what women told you that they weigh. Oh, uh, at least put half a stone on. Sorry, what women told you that they weighed? Yeah, Not at least because women just didn't like saying that out in public in the shop of busy people. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I remember having a little moment every time I would rent. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. So yeah, obviously it's a trick in and riding horses. 
Same oh, thing. Really? Yeah, I've only done that once, actually, but I remember. And then it's kind of like if you care about that sort of thing, which I, I really try not to, but it's like your horse will reflect whatever answer you've yeah. given. Yeah. So, like, when they come out with the giant horse, it's like, yeah. that one's mine. Yeah. It's got to hold me. <laughs> the other thing is I have absolutely no idea what I weigh. I think if you genuinely don't care about what you weigh, yeah, you have no I idea. So, I don't like, know. Yeah. I don't People know. People would, uh, would have to take a rough stab. It is such a funny dance, that control thing. And the celebration, and I have to look, I'm guilty of that. I mean, look, I'm 40 years old and I have this podcast called What It Is, and we're we're obviously romanticizing that and glorifying yeah. it a little bit. And I've had funny thoughts about that, like, oh, is this, is this okay? Sure, it's fine. So how are you with the old hangovers now? I don't get them that often i really try not to drink so much that i'm gonna have a hangover but again with the podcast i've definitely had more than i'd like to admit for the past few months so yeah dry january has been like okay let's reflect and remember that you can choose how much you have each time i find hangovers at this phase of life in fact there's a daily mash thing article that goes around all the time that says like something like hangovers after 35 come with an existential dread (laughs) and that's it, they're just so much worse than they ever would were when I was younger. Like, yeah. I mean, I have debilitatingly bad hangovers, but I don't have a five-year-old child. You know, that's a big part of it, because I still have to get up. She's keeping me healthier. It's good. But yeah, oh, I just can't stand them. They really, I mean, my day is just a wash. That's the thing. Like, I won't get anything done. And yeah, the guilt of, like, parenting with a hangover, that is horrible. Who wants to play archaeologist? I'm the mummy lying on the couch. (laughs) It's just so, that's horrible. (laughs) So tell me where we can find drunk women solving crime. Right, in all local pubs and establishments. (laughs) Well, we're on Acast, so you can listen to us on there, but we're on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us at Drunk Women Pod on Twitter and on Instagram and Facebook at Drunk Women Solving Crime. And when's your next live show? We have a show at the Vault Festival on March 8th with Hannah Witten, Instagram star. So very excited about that. And 100% of the profits are going to child.org. So it's a it's a fun charity gig. So our drinking really is making a difference. <laughs>